Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. It's been a little bit rainy this weekend, but we've had some nice weather. It's been nice to be together. Uh, I don't know about you, but I woke up a little nervous this morning. It's game seven, Calgary Flames. It's, uh, it's a lot on the line this morning. First, uh, first game for the Calgary Flames at home, that is game seven, uh, I believe since 2006. Didn't go so well in 2006. I remember that well. It was a painful, painful night. I'm hoping tonight is not nearly as painful. But uh, that's what I'm praying for this morning. I don't know about you, but (laughs) I'm glad that we're able to be together on this this Sunday in May. It is flying on by. Uh, Summer is here. I I love spring in BC. If, if, uh, If you're from another province, you'll probably recognize this as well, that when you come to BC, spring is the time when it shows off. Uh, there's, there's green everywhere. There's life everywhere. It, it is truly this, this feeling of, of renewal and newness in, in the space. And so that's kind of what we're leaning into right now. We're in week four of a series we're calling Kintsugi, uh, talking about how the resurrection renews the world. And if, and if you haven't been here in previous weeks, the idea of Kintsugi is it is a Japanese uh, pottery craft in which they actually take lacquer, and they infuse it with, with gold, and they put broken pieces of pottery back together, and they make it so much more beautiful and full of life and value. And, and this is even also the understanding of how we are as humans, that there is brokenness in all that we do. But Christ does not leave us as we are, that God does not leave us as we are, but infuses us with his spirit so that we can come to life in a way that we have been designed from the very beginning with more value than we ever thought possible for ourselves. I'm going to open up with a reading from from John 16, and then we are going to jump right in. So John 16, verses 5 to 15. Uh, It's going to be in the NIV on the screen. I'm going to be reading out the NLT, so you'll you'll follow along. But it says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And says also of God's justice and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So it's a heavy piece of text. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to dive into it this morning. Uh, perhaps you have uh, heard me chat about it recently. On Facebook, I posted a photo 
uh, of my trip down to London a couple weeks ago. And there was many a beautiful structure that was, was photographed and included. But the photo that got the most buzz was this photo with uh, N.T. Wright. And so N.T. Wright is probably my favorite theologian. And so it was a, it was a privilege just to sit and, and listen from him and then get the photo after. is the closest thing to like a fangirl experience that I probably had in a long time. Um, and he just liked this, this jolly old or... Uh, man that was kind of uncomfortable with how much I wanted to take his photo. But uh, we, we took a photo, and it was great, posted it, and it's all the buzz around it. One of the things that he talks, talked about in, in the time that we had together is uh, he, he has some experience in Canada itself. Actually, he, he was uh, part of the Anglican Church for a period of time in, the, in Montreal. And so he gained some friends there. He got to know, and he tells a story of one of those friends that he made, a, a, a rector that was interviewing for a parish in the area. And he was talking with the board at the time, this, this rector in, in particular, and he, he was getting interviewed and all these questions were being asked of him. And one of the questions get, that gets asked is from, in, in particular, uh, an enthusiastic, charismatic layperson, uh, someone that was just really excited about the IT idea of this, this individual rector coming to join their parish. And he asks him really enthusiastically, are you filled with the Spirit? The, the rector paused, and he, he smiled, and he gave what he, what he thought was the right answer, and he says, uh, yes, but I leak sometimes. And I think that's an interesting approach to what we sometimes think about when it means to be filled by the Spirit. That we, we come across ideas of being filled by the Spirit as this, this dramatic, singular experience that fills us and, and makes us full of the presence of God and, and, and it gives us a dramatic, perhaps, example of what it looks like. But I, I like the idea that he presents of, yes, I am filled with the Spirit, but sometimes I, I, I leak. That there is... The reality of life that I go through and the mistakes that I make and the relationships that I, that I might falter in and, and all of it doesn't exactly represent what the Spirit wants in the world and what the Spirit is trying to accomplish in the world through my life. And so each and every day that I'm trying to step into, it's a renewing of that. It's, it's not to be filled in a singular experience, but it's to be filled over and over and over again. Because this is the question I think that we're often faced with when it comes to the Holy Spirit. What's the point of God's Spirit dwelling in us? And questions like that, along with questions about the signs that kind of come with it, what might happen in, in and through us, and, and, and so on, these things have, have been controversial for a long time and even divisive in many churches of what the Holy Spirit actually kind of comes about to look like. But in the New Testament, the Spirit is not simply given so that we can feel good about being Jesus' followers. And now, hopefully, that, that happens sometimes. I'm not saying that shouldn't be a part of, of having the Spirit in our lives. But the Spirit is this. The Spirit is the vital agent for the church's life and mission. But not simply in personal renewal and holiness. Though the idea of that personal renewal and holiness remains central and we need to have clear and strong understanding of it and not really fussing over these, these dramatic individual experiences, 
If we're to be a generation and a people that are truly following Jesus, we need to have a a perspective of the Spirit that is not following this this rhythm of privatized Christianity. Because this is what's kind of happened within the Western church. That we've privatized Christianity, and in turn, I think we've privatized the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen the Holy Spirit as a force for what we call personal spiritual renewal, the the reinvigoration of of our individual lives of of prayer, of worship, of service, of study, of of experiencing peace and experiencing joy. And, And these are true and good, and we need them in our lives. And I'm not saying anything against that in particular, as the, as the rector noted, this is never simply about being filled by the Spirit as a one-time experience for our own personal agenda. Because here's the thing, the Spirit can and does extraordinary things in our lives. And it does in lives of those around us. And it and lifts us to this, this like new personal spirituality, but this it doesn't automatically protect us from, from sin or from suffering. Life is far more complicated than that. I want you to consider the journey of, of the people of Israel. They're slaves in Egypt, and they're on this journey to the promised land. But when we see the Spirit of God come and spend time and, and actually be with the people of Israel... The Spirit of God dwells in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, at the beginning of the journey, not at the end of it. It's not not simply that it arrives once the journey is complete, once the heightened spiritual experience comes about that the Spirit comes into the situation. It It was not a sign that, oh, you've arrived and now the Spirit is here. The Spirit came at the beginning. All the great renewals that we've seen in the past century, uh, the Pentecostal charismatic renewals, and they've done enormous works, but I think that we've often seldom grasped this idea that's presented presented to us in John chapter 16. That we read this passage, and it's not just about a personal spiritual experience. Now, here's the thing. When I read John John chapter 16, there's a lot of great verses within the chapter itself. And I will confess that there has been moments that I have read the chapter and been really grateful for the other verses that are a little more happy and not so much focused on verses like 8, 9, 10, and 11, which are far more challenging. Talking about these deep and heavy ideas of, of sin and justice and judgment. But I want to suggest today that it was a vital part of the early church and it should be part of ours as well. And you should know this, that John 16 is part of the farewell discourse on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And so he's explaining to his disciples after supper what was about to happen and what, it was, what would it would all mean. Uh, a good deal of this portion of text focuses on the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, this verses 5 to 15 is, is labeled as the work of the Holy Spirit. And this 
portion of scripture along with uh, Romans 8 really does articulate the power of the Holy Spirit. And they include sections and sayings of what the Spirit's going to do, how it's going to present the Father, how it's going to present Jesus, how Jesus is represented through the Spirit, and what the Spirit does in the world, how it does it in and through his people. But there is also a, a warning that's given. There's also a, a commission that's given. And this is what we see in John 16. Because Jesus has already explained to his disciples that just as the world has hated him, so it will hate them. So, so there will be a cost to actually pursuing the, the spirit in the way that Jesus wants them to pursue it. To live it out in, in a way that represents Christ was going to come at a cost. I think that there, there's a, a clear distinction that we need to make. Because sometimes when we look at the way that the Bible presents the idea of the spirit and the idea of the world, we fall into this idea of dualism. And we, we have a dualistic approach to it. Dualism is a doctrine that basically consists of two opposing elements. Think of it as good and evil. And sometimes what we've done within our, our Christian circles is that we've articulated that the kingdom and the world are our opposing elements, but that's not what Jesus actually presents. John emphasizes right from the start that God so loved the world that Jesus' mission was not to actually judge the world, but to save it. And that Jesus goes on in his great prayer in John 17 to stress that he's sending his disciples where? Into the world. And he says later on that the kingdom is not from this world, sure, but it is for the world. But because we have this modern Western Platonist uh, approach to things, we lean into this mindset that often says that the kingdom of God is about us escaping from the world and going somewhere else. But Jesus says this over and over again, and this is what he's presenting to us when he gives us the spirit, that the kingdom is not from this world. It doesn't grow within this world. It comes from God, but it is for this world. So, so we're not dualists. We're not trying to separate the world and the kingdom. In fact, we're trying to do the opposite. We're hearing the call of Jesus that it's inviting us to bring the kingdom here on earth. Because sometimes when you separate, then you are, then you are escaping. Then you're leaving one behind. Then you're, you're trying to push one away while running to another. And Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom that I want to bring, the spirit that I place within you is to pull the kingdom here into the earth, into the world. We need to have that shift in our perspective. The spirit of God is not to elevate our personal spiritual experiences so that we are above and beyond the world. It is actually equipping us and preparing us to be in and for the world. It's not just about you and me. There is a grander plan that God is at work with in the world. What Jesus began does not end with the ascension. It was just the beginning. Now here's the challenge. In, in a lot of ways, the world seems organized to be in opposition to the things of God. The, the world wants to do it in its own way and go its own way. And this isn't just trying to say that like, this is pagan traditions outside of, of Israel that are operating this way. This is articulating as Christian leaders, of, of Israelite leaders that were falling into the space, that they were just rejecting God's way. 
It's, it's just like a child that would like stamp its feet when a parent or a teacher tries to stop it from doing something that's particularly wrong. And the child gets angry and, and, and is upset about it. And the adult turns out to be right. And now the child feels foolish and is disobedient. And, and it's a whole scene. This is kind of the interaction that's at play. What Jesus is doing, what Jesus warns us that's going on, is that there's going to be opposition to the kingdom coming here on earth. To the kingdom message that he wants his followers to live out and speak out. But he doesn't stop with that warning. He actually follows it with a commission. Now, the language is dense, and so we're going to unpack it, and we're going to read some of these central verses again in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. So follow along with me. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be wrong on three counts. Sin, justice, and judgment. Sin, righteousness is sometimes substituted in certain translations. Now, in relation to sin, it's because they don't believe in me. In relation to justice, it's because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me anymore. And in relation to judgment, it's because the ruler of this world is judged. This is, this is heavy. And what's going on here? What's this got to do with us? And to, to answer this question, I think we need to consider this for a moment, that we have an incredible opportunity to engage in the ills of our day, we, especially within the culture that we're in. We're invited to, to understand and to receive who Jesus is so that we can use all that we have at our disposal to actually engage with the ills of this world, with the things that are, are, are suffering around us. We must believe the victory. Christ, one on the cross, is actually meant for every sphere around us. And it's, it's nice to say sometimes that, yes, well, Jesus, he won the victory on the cross. He defeated the powers of darkness and, he, and sin. And then people will often say, well, like, look at the television. Look at, look at newspapers. Do you not see what's going on with wars and, and, and crime and hatred all around us? Well, and here's the thing. They haven't disappeared, and, but the death blow has been given to them, but this victory has to be implemented. And we're not meant to do that by ourselves. We're meant to do that by God's Spirit. The victory now needs to be implemented to injustice, to poverty, to disease, to corruption, to, to inequalities, to, to war itself. All that is a disgrace, and defaces God's creation. This is what victory does. When a victory is, is won, it is when the victorious people actually engage in the place that they're in that it begins to begin to look like the victor itself. If we believe with the New Testament that God intends to renew this this sad old world from top to bottom and that with Jesus's resurrection he has gloriously launched that project of renewal then we should be in the forefront of this task of putting that into practice sometimes when we read this passage I think we can see it simply as saying well this is talking about the spirit doing the work 
This isn't about you or me. This isn't about individuals. This is about the Spirit coming in and doing something incredible to renew the world in the image of God. No, that's not how it works. What the Spirit does, the Spirit does in and through Jesus' followers. This is what the Spirit is actually looking to accomplish in the world. The Spirit is given to enable Jesus' followers to do what he says. This is what he says here, which is to hold the world to account. And this is an interesting thought, I think, for us to consider, that the primary task of the Spirit is not dramatic manifestations. It is not to feel good about being a follower of Jesus but it is actually part of our responsibility and our calling when we are individuals who are filled by the Spirit to hold the world to account and to speak truth to power. And this is not a specialist task for people who want to be politically active or who operate in the prophetic. The exercise of this task, according to John's gospel, is one of one of Christians' primarily spiritual experiences. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, expect this commission. Because this is what's happened. We have constructed an experience of, of faith in Christianity in, in Western culture, like how, where on the main floor is all the things that we do throughout the week. All the things that we do in the midst of our everyday lives. And we've kind of banished religion and spirituality upstairs like an elderly relative whom we might go and visit on a Sunday, but who we don't expect to tell us how to run the rest of the house while the downstairs does its own thing. Where if the Spirit is going to do anything, we, we seem to have this thought that the Spirit will take us upstairs into some heavenly space where we will have some lovely experience completely detached from the nasty downstairs world. But this isn't what is being written in John chapter 16. There's a call to actually engage with the world, to engage with our reality, to not be separated or distanced from it. The point of the gospel is God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is talking about the witness of the entire church, not just specialists with certain gifts. So what does it look like to have the life and witness of the church in all that we do and have it show up in all the ways that we live? I think this could be easily heard as we're call, trying to call forward a generation of people to be self-righteous and uptight, to call people just to be better moralistically. But here's the thing, a revelation of Jesus, a genuine experience of the Spirit, I wholeheartedly believe, actually produces humility within people that can then produce truth. That is to say, you don't have to be a jerk in order to communicate 
that something is not according to the kingdom of God. You don't have to be cruel in order to actually engage with someone in a conversation to to move them towards what you believe is actually reflective of what Jesus wants for them. That in fact, to be encountered by the presence of God, to be full of the Spirit of God, is to communicate in a way that is reflective of the heart of God for that person or individual or people group. So if the way that we respond and the way that we communicate is not reflective of that, then that is the place that we first need to begin. But when we have that revelation, to simply keep that to ourselves, to feel good about being a follower of Jesus, is to limit the actual commission that the Spirit gives to us. Because Jesus is saying that Our life as the followers of Jesus, as the church, must embody the fact that God is putting the world right. That's what justice is. Putting something that is wrong right. Jesus is saying that the church in all of its life and in all of its teaching must demonstrate to the watching world that the creator God has already passed judgment on rebellion and wickedness and that this judgment has its full effect that is basically saying that his renewal is already at work in the world. Why won't we engage with it? Let's probe a little deeper. First, so Jesus says that the spirit will prove the world wrong about sin because they don't believe in me And we need to unpack that. So Paul, as John does, believes that Jesus is the telltale symptom of someone who is living a truly human life. And this is different language. Jesus is the telltale symptom of someone living a fully human life. And if anyone's living less than a fully human life, that is an invitation to actually discover Christ because the name for sin is missing the mark of genuine genuine humaneness. The world has its own standards of right and wrong and they're out of sync with what God's standards are, but they sometimes overlap and, and, and sometimes they don't. But the watching world in the first century couldn't figure out what these early Christians were up to. When the Spirit fell upon the believers, we often point at Pentecost. And we often point at the upper room. And we see the manifestations of the Spirit that they were speaking in, in other tongues. And, and there was great works that were done in the name. But you know what actually caused the people of God to bring the kingdom here on earth? is because they started to serve the poor. They started to reach into areas that were not normally touched. They didn't cheat on on, on their neighbors. They didn't cheat in business. They didn't cheat on their spouses. They took care of the poor and whoever, wherever, and nobody else was behaving like that. that. That was the power of the Spirit at work around them. And all of those behaviors were incomprehensible to most people. The Christians were simply showing world demonstrating that it had got wrong and there was another way that was possible. That there's a different way to be human. And the key to it all, the telltale symptom, was that they were believing in Jesus first. 
Jesus is saying, convicting the world of sin because they don't believe in me. As to say, I'm living a life that is reflective of Christ because of their belief in Christ. This wasn't them holding up signs on street corners saying, you sinned. (laughs) This was them welcoming them into their homes and saying there is a better way. We don't have to follow the ways that we have followed for so long. I've encountered the risen Jesus, and I want to live a life that's reflective of his. Why don't you consider that for yourself as well? Secondly, the Spirit will prove the world wrong about justice. And justice is not this absolute and agreed-upon category, as some philosophers would maybe like to say, because to be honest, even philosophers from from Plato's Republic through to Rawls and other theories, they all disagree. (laughs) But justice often feels like in our modern Western culture that it can bend, and it often bends to suit the powerful. But this is what Jesus does. He comes and he bends it straight again as he goes to the cross. As God vindicates him in the resurrection and the ascension, and God's great act of putting the world right, the ultimate act of justice, is launched when God, in the early language of the, of the Christians, puts Jesus right. And he demonstrates that the cross, first and foremost, was a vile travesty, a travesty of justice. And Jesus' vindication then sets the tone for the Christians to be in the power of the Spirit, putting people right in the world around them. In the book of Acts, there's this, Acts is a page turner. There's story after story. But there's a story in particular where it tells of, of Paul and he's, he's gone into uh, a specific city and he's begun to preach. And he's thrown into jail, and he, and he comes across a jailer, and uh, the, they begin to sing at night. And there's this dramatic experience where the, the doors whip open, and the jailer comes running in, and he's ready to commit suicide, and Paul stops him. It's a great story. There's so much that happens in that moment. The Spirit of God was at work. But immediately after, the magistrates actually reach out to Paul, and they ask him to leave the city. And what's interesting is that Paul actually says that I'm not going to leave the city until we make this right. I'm a Roman citizen who's been unfairly treated. I'm a Roman citizen that's been thrown into jail and has, has been, done, it's been done so unjustly. He actually holds his, the magistrate to account in that moment. There's a straight line in history of people looking to put things right as they follow Jesus. If we look at those early Christians, we look at the stories of Paul, we look at the moments of of Diedrich Bonhoeffer or Martin Luther King Jr., where they feel this compulsion to put that which is wrong in the world right. And they're embodying the facts that the Spirit is proving the world wrong about justice. Justice, even if we consider within the Roman system, looked a certain way. 
Roman justice could be easily bent, especially if there were, were bribes involved. When Paul, he, he goes and he's invited to talk to an individual by the name of Felix. And Felix, he liked to have these conversations where they were about philosophy and religion. And actually, Paul shows up and he's, he's expecting uh, Paul to bribe him so that he can continue to stay in the city. Paul did not approach it with that, uh, that kind of... Uh, language or that kind of action. In fact, he begins to speak about sin and about justice and about judgment and they end the conversation. But Felix, he's, he's confused about what's going on, but Paul refuses to bow to the way that the way that things were done in the world. Justice meant that Romans could bend it to their will. Judgment, well, he was going to give the final judgment and that he could do whatever he wanted of, around it. But, but Paul served a different ruler, a different standard of judgment, a different standard of justice. And Jesus says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out and I am lifted up on the cross, lifted up from the earth, and I will draw all people to myself. And Jesus' death is going to be the victory over the enslaving powers. We talked about it a few weeks ago when Pontius Pilate and Jesus have their interaction and you can see the kingdom of God in confrontation with the kingdom of Rome and how one does not understand the other. But we see that the power of self-giving love through Jesus speaks truth to power that calls the world to account. That people who are filled with the Spirit actually call the world to account. Because I think we categorize those who are filled by the Spirit, by the manifestations that we see around them. Someone who speaks in tongues, someone who's prophesying, someone who's, who's healing the sick. I would say someone like Martin Luther King Jr. was filled with the Spirit because he was holding the world to account. Someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer was holding the world to account, embodying the Spirit. Because the risen Jesus breathes the Spirit upon his disciples and says this, As the Father sent me, so I send you. Because that's the transition. That's how it works. The mission that Jesus has is the words he prays in that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the same mission that is given to his spirit-filled followers. Do this, Jesus says. So I challenge you to you this morning. When we think of the spirit, we're going to talk more about the spirit in, in weeks to come. And, and there's gifts of the Spirit, and there's ways that the Spirit comes alive within us. But first and foremost, the Spirit of God is not about our personal spiritual experience. It is about the filling of the church, filling of his people for the kingdom come here on earth. 
for the mission that God has set before us. So all of the compulsions that are in this room for justice, all those areas that you are passionate about, for people that you see that are sick that you want to see healed, for people that you know that are unjustly treated because of their, because of their gender or because of their skin color, that, that, is, that is the justice of God. That's the Spirit of God calling something forth within you to make that which is wrong right. That is justice. That is, that is the sin of the world being shown that there is a better way, that, there is a, that the judgment of the, the ruler of the world has already been done, that the, the death toll has already been won. And we as this people, we as followers of Jesus, we as the individuals who are filled with the Spirit are invited to make that which is dead alive in our world and to show your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is inviting every single one of us that when you are filled with the Spirit, do not simply keep it to yourself, but join the journey, join the adventure of bringing the kingdom here on earth. Is your faith experience is your relationship with Jesus exclusive to you? Have you kept it like a flame on a hill that's hidden? Afraid of what others might perceive it as and not even really sure exactly of what you think about it just yet. The challenge, which is harsh sometimes, but something that I think we all need to be convicted of, myself included. If our faith is purely about our own spiritual experience or spiritual elevation, then our faith is about ourselves and not about Jesus. If our experience of the Spirit is about just tapping into what feels really cool and feel good and an emotional high. Then it's about more it's more about feeding our sense of gratification and desire. And it's missing the mark of why the spirit was actually given to us. We are the people of God invited to bring kingdom here on earth. And if you're wondering what the kingdom looks like, you look at the words of Jesus. Go to the Sermon on the Mount. See his dramatic and very clear invitation over and over again. It is uncomfortable. It is deeply challenging. It is deeply convicting. But it needs every single one of us to bring all that we have in that self-giving love that Jesus shows us. Would you just bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Father, I just pray this morning that you would give us the spirit as Jesus promised to his followers so that we might be for and in the world to be what Jesus was and to be doing what he did. 
And that might be shown in our witness, in our actions, in our thoughts. That we would not shy away from that which is uncomfortable for the sake of our own, own feelings. But we would desire to hold the world to account because we desire the very best for our neighbors, for our friends, for our coworkers, for those around us. We pray, Father, that your spirit would fill your people in a way that would not be limited to this upper room experience, but would be out into the world like that early church. That maybe we experience it here this morning, but it wouldn't stay here. It would stir something up within us. And we would hear that prayer that Jesus prayed And we would hear that as the mission for our lives as the spirit-filled followers of Christ. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven. I just pray for boldness and courage within each and every one of us today. shape us into your image. Help us to feel your nearness in the midst of this journey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.